tweet at TodaySOR. The Chief Medical Officer, Dr Tony Houlihan, warned yesterday that a, se- that a sense of complacency has crept into people's behaviour around the current social distancing restrictions. He said there's evidence showing increased traffic on the roads and more people out and about, which could jeopardise plans or hopes to relax some of the emergency measures. But as the lockdown stretches on, how can we all stay motivated to adhere to the restrictions uh, that uh, make sure that we don't slack off? Joining us on the line now is Professor uh, Pete Lon, Head of the Behavioural Research Research Unit at the ESRI. Pete, good morning. Thanks indeed for joining us. Morning, Sean. Uh, there's anecdotal evidence at the moment that people are becoming a bit complacent in their behaviour. Uh, are they? A little. It's extremely important to bear in mind this is anecdotal evidence and we have to not be led astray by it. So one of the difficulties here is that non-compliance is highly visible. It remains the case that the very large majority of the Irish population are complying with the restrictions. They also support the restrictions, incidentally. I mean, the support for the restrictions in terms of people saying that the government is pursuing the right policy through these restrictions has been pretty solid at about 90% of the population throughout the last few weeks, and it hasn't fallen off at all. Our latest number on that is 87% support. But one of the problems here is that non-compliance is highly visible. I mean, if you go out for your walk or your daily exercise, you will see incidents of non-compliance. And that means that we can be inclined to overestimate it. So things are fraying at the edges a little, it's true. Um, And we can see evidence of that. It's more likely among younger people and it's particularly likely among young males. Whether it's caused by complacency or something else is a little unclear. I mean, we can also measure that some people are quite frustrated and bored, although it remains the case for the large majority of us that anxiety and worry about this disease is a more common emotion than frustration and boredom associated with the lockdown. So, yeah, there's a little bit of um, creeping non-compliance, and it's really important that we do something about it. I'm just interested in the, the kind of conflicting... Uh, suggestions or reports from reputable uh, institutions, if you like, of the state that we got yesterday. For instance, um, the uh, at the morning briefing in the Department of the Taoiseach, the Assistant Secretary there, Liz Canavan, said um, that uh, the Transport Infrastructure Ireland undertook an analysis of the traffic figures for this week and the volumes are in line with the previous weeks uh, since the restrictions were introduced. On the other hand, then, we heard from Dr Tony Houlihan that the um, Dublin Institute for Advanced Studies, they have a national seismic network which appears to show an increase in activity in recent days. And it was hard evidence that there is more population movement in spite of our continuing advice. So do we believe the radar that the TII would have or the um, earth-moving instruments uh, that uh, the Institute of Advanced Studies would have? Well, I'm a scientist, and one of the things I certainly believe in is noise in data. Uh, One of the reasons we need multiple data sources is because data sources are not perfectly accurate. And one of the things we have to do is look across many of them. And we believe findings more when they do what I would call triangulating, which means that multiple data sources point to the same outcome. And on that score, I think there's actually a bit of a misperception that's being propagated and is being propagated quite quite substantially in the media at the moment, that there is a sort of clamour to get back out and to have these restrictions lifted and get back to normal life. I mean, actually, multiple data sources point to something that's not quite the opposite of that, because there is a minority for whom it's true. But the multiple data sources suggest that really is a minority. The majority of people are complying and are actually really quite worried about the lifting of restrictions. They're worried about whether it's safe. They're worried about the safety of going back to work. They're worried about the safety of beginning to engage again in normal life and social interaction. So sure, they want to, 
And we can see that in the data. They want to have more social interaction. They want to get back towards normal life, but they're actually worried about it. They're worried about the safety of it. And they're more than happy to follow whatever the advice is in that regard. Tell me more, uh, Pete, if you would, please, about the data you have yourself on people's own perceptions mm. on the likelihood of their, of their contracting the coronavirus themselves. Yeah, so we have data from multiple tracking studies. So these are representative national samples, um, survey samples of anything between about one and two and a half thousand. We're doing several of them a week. This, By we, I mean the um, behavioral change subgroup of, of, of NEFET, of which I'm a member. Um, we also have focus group research. We have experimental research that my team at the ESRI carry out again with nationally representative samples. Um, the experimental research differs from the survey research because we actually show different groups of people different information and see how they might respond to it. Um, that's one of the ways, incidentally, that we, we know that there's something really important, which is the need to keep reminding people of why we are doing this. Compliance goes up if you remind people of why we're doing it. And it's really important because by complying with the behavior, unlike most behavior, you don't get any feedback in this. If you wash this virus off your hands, or if you don't go out and thereby don't get infected and don't infect somebody else, you will never know that that was the case. You can't see it. It's something that doesn't happen rather than something that does happen. It's really hard to get across to people here that their behavior is saving lives. But their behavior is saving lives. And we have to keep reminding people of that. And as I say, we can see in our data that when we do remind people of that, their intention to comply and their desire to comply goes up. So there's multiple different data sources. There's experiments like the one I've just described, the surveys, there's focus groups. We're also looking at analytics on web traffic and social media traffic and so on. It is true, Sean, when you look at all of that, there has been a slight decline in people's perceived risk of contracting the virus. Um, so if there is a little bit of complacency, it may be that many people have said, well, look, me, my friends and family have been OK so far. And they've kind of downgraded their own worry about contracting the virus a little bit, which is kind of ironic in a way, because actually their chances of contracting it as more and more infections have spread across the country have, of course, gone up. Yeah, a lot of texts um, on, on this particular topic. Um, I'm seeing people steadily stream, streaming into my local credit union this morning, over 70s. Also, people bringing children into the office. Total complacency. Now, I mean, does your research pick up that kind of stuff? We can pick up a little bit of it. I mean, I'd be lying if I said there wasn't a, something of a challenge to compliance at the moment. We can, we can see that there is a little bit more in the way of non-compliance. We do need to be careful with some of this, though. I mean... In a way, it's inevitable. If we have a situation where people can't go out for weeks on end except for essential reasons, there will come a time where there are some things they've been trying not to do that they absolutely have to do. Um, I mean, I have one of those in my own kitchen at the moment where we can't use our kitchen appliances because of a plumbing problem. And eventually, we've had to sort it out, even though we've been trying not to. So, I mean, there are some things where... You know, you would expect a little bit of an increase in activity just because people are going to have to for essential reasons. And we shouldn't mistake that for non-compliance in the genuine sense of people not bothering. But it is really important. I mean, it is likely over time that we're going to have to keep reinforcing the need for this compliance, reminding people of the reasons of it. And it's really important, too, that where people don't comply, that we pick them up on it, that we remind them of the obligations, we remind them of why they're doing it. Because we know from these kind of collective action problems, the behavioural science of this is very, very clear. Social disapproval and picking people up when they don't behave the way they're supposed to is extremely important to keeping the collective spirit going. 
Yeah, but I suppose people are watching those news conferences and watching the news reports and listening to the George Lees of this world and Fergal Bowers uh, and others. And they're seeing reasons for hope, reasons for optimism um, that, for instance, the reproduction rate is below and significantly below one. Uh, and you've got to give people reasons for hope. But then how do you, how do you balance that with the need to keep, keep the lid on uh, people's movement? That's a very fair question, but bear this in mind. I mean, we have reasons for hope and we're getting that reproduction number down, but the reason is because people are complying with the social distancing um, guidance. That's why we're doing so well. That's why we've managed to flatten the curve compared to, for example, the UK, and that's why we're getting those numbers down. So a lot of this is about giving people encouragement and feedback as well. Social distancing, as far as we can see in the numbers, is working and it is exactly the individual behaviours that we're trying to encourage well, people I have to tell you, have improved those numbers. Our text line, Pete, would suggest otherwise. Uh, almost nobody is making the effort to give two metres space when I'm out walking. It's more like uh, one, if you're lucky, and it's mostly the middle-aged. Um, it may be anecdotal, says another listener, but I cycle every day. I've continued to cycle every day of the lockdown and the roads are much busier since last Saturday, much busier. Um, then there's another one saying where I live there are now kids from different households out playing on the street together parents seem to have taken it upon themselves to lift the restrictions Uh, and then the last one for now I work every Friday morning in my local town the traffic today is extremely busy in comparison with the last two Fridays also many more people on the streets fact yeah okay so I mean I'm looking out of my window now Um, I see far less activity than I would normally see at this time. I went out for a walk the last couple of days. I saw some non-compliance, mostly among younger men on the green. Uh, To be honest, what I can't see is compliance. And the reason I can't see compliance is is because compliance is invisible. It's the people who are not going out, it's the people who are in their homes. And all I can tell you is that overwhelmingly, that is the very, very large proportion of the population. Compliance is, is the norm for the majority of people at the moment. Now, I agree there is an increase in non-compliance. I don't think it's very large. The data we can see don't suggest it's very large. Even the traffic and footfall data suggest it's there, but don't suggest it's very large. They suggest it's quite small. Now, it is really important that we keep re-emphasizing that the large majority of people are complying. And one of the reasons it's important is because we know that a lot of people are what are called conditional cooperators. That is, they will make sacrifices for the common good, provided everybody else is. And if they start to believe that too many other people are not bothering, then there's a good chance that they won't bother as well. So the situation's really quite unstable, and we have to be really careful not to exaggerate non-compliance. We can see it, it is a problem. But the important thing to understand here is that the very large majority of people in this country are complying, and because they are complying, we have managed to flatten the curve, we are continuing to flatten the curve, and we're getting the reproduction number down. And what that is doing is saving lives. And where we see people not complying, we need to pick them up on it and we need to remind them, why are we doing this? Because the answer is to save lives, and that is what is happening. Last quick question to you. You said at the start you're a member of NEFET, that is the National Public Health Emergency Team. Uh, Alan Kelly, I'm the not, Labour leader. Sorry, Sean, I'm, I'm not. No, I'm a member of the behavioural change subgroup that feeds evidence into it, but I'm not on any committee that makes any decisions here at all. We feed evidence ah. into Never. Okay, well, look, uh, in that case, I, I, won't, uh, I won't finish the question, uh, but the question was, uh, maybe we'll put it to somebody else, who is Neffet accountable to? We'll maybe ask Josefa Madigan a little bit later in the programme. Look, we'll leave it there. Professor Pete Lund, Head of the Behavioural Research Unit at the SRI, thank you so much.